are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning. This is Family Worship Sunday, and I saw Jolie and Lily in the band. That was awesome. And this is Fisher standing beside me. Fisher is eight years old, and, uh, and uh, isn't he a great-looking kid? Do you love his hair as much as I do? Yeah. So I said, is it your mom that says don't cut your hair, or do you say don't cut my hair? And Fisher said, no, it's me. I don't want to cut my hair, right? Yeah. So Fisher, uh, this is a necklace, and what's kind of interesting about it is that it's tangled, one thing. But anyway, uh, if you'll hold that for me like that right there, it's about 16 inches long, okay? So, um, and, and that's the only reason I have it up here is because of its length, because there's something significant about that. So Fisher, do this for me, okay? Hold the necklace up to my head just above my ear, Okay. There you go. So where my brain would supposed to be if I had one, right? Okay, right there. And so, so when, when the necklace drops 16 inches from my brain, what is 16 inches away from my brain? Heart. My heart, right there. See that? It's amazing, isn't it? You're, you're just thinking, what is he going to come up with next? I know. But, but I want Fisher to help me with that because I think it's something significant. So when we talk about your brain and we talk about your heart, one of the greatest challenges we find in our lives is how do I get stuff from my head to my heart, right? So how can I get stuff from my head to my heart? Because when it's in my head, it's something I know, but when it's in my heart, it's something I embrace with my whole life. So we say to people, like, I love you with all my heart. Have you ever told a girl you loved her with all your heart? Not yet. You probably will someday, but anyway, not yet. So we think about the heart as being much more than just this this, you know, organ that pumps blood. So if we say somebody has a sincere heart, we don't mean that your, your organ, you know, pumping, you know, is real sincere. We're really talking about the center of you as a person. So that's all I needed, but thanks a bunch. And Annette has something for you as you go down. Okay, give Fisher a hand. So why don't I give you the history behind this, Okay. The Jewish people believed in James' day, and we're studying James, that, that the heart was not only the center of your physical body, that pumped blood throughout your body, but they believed that the heart was the center of your moral life, the center of your emotions, really the seat of your whole self. And so with the heart, you were thinking, you were feeling, and you were choosing. Right? So we find ourselves in this situation where one day some guys asked Jesus, so of everything in the world that's important, and there's a lot of important stuff, what is the most important thing? And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, well, the most important thing is that you should love God with all of your your heart. And so what Jesus was saying was somehow you move stuff from what you know to this place where you embrace it with your whole life. So it's one thing for me to know something in my mind, to be convinced of something, to believe that something is true. It's another thing for me to embrace it with my life. So really simple stuff today, okay? But this is bottom line right here. There must be a relationship between my behavior In other words, how I live my everyday life, there has to be a relationship between my behavior and the Word of God. 
So it's not enough for me just to know the Word of God, because I've got a feeling there's people in the room. Some of you would say, I've been to church only for a few months. Others of you would say, I have been going to church my whole life. I know a lot about the Word of God. But there has to be a relationship between what I know in my head and how I live my everyday life. Now, for James, the Word of God was different than how we think about the Word of God. So when we think about the Word of God, we often think about a book called the Bible. So if I say to you today, talk to me about the Word of God, you're you're probably going to think about that book, right? You've got to understand something. These guys didn't have a book. Nobody had the book. And for them, the Word of God meant everything that God had said through Moses and the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, that was written down on scrolls. And everything the prophets had said. And everything that Jesus said. In fact, it was so much more broad than just a book. It was, what does God make clear that He wants for me? What, is, what are God's desires for my life? And, and so, so James is saying there has to be a relationship between how you live your everyday life and what God has already made really clear that He wants for you. Okay? So we're in this book of James and we're in chapter 1 and we've been in chapter 1 for about 6-7 weeks. We'll be in chapter 1 for a little while longer. But let me, let me take you there to chapter 1, okay? Uh, we'll start with verse 22 and I'll only read those four verses, alright? So after James has said, the Word of God has been implanted in you, here's what he says, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. It's got to move from what you know in your head to what's in your heart and how you live your life. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, then He gives this illustration. I think it's kind of cool. We'll talk about it in a minute. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away. And you forget what you look like. And honestly, there's been times when I wanted to forget what I look like. You? Next verse says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law, and now he's kind of made this shift in language from word to law, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that gives freedom, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you've heard, then God will truly Bless you for doing it. So this is, this is God's Word for us today. Years ago, when I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, I had an opportunity because of a person I met at a restaurant to go to a synagogue. Never been to a synagogue. Thought, that will be like education. It will be enriching. I'll learn a lot by going to the synagogue. And so I went. And uh, interestingly, I didn't think about what I would put on my head because you can't go in a synagogue without your head covered. Now, the women, they wear this shawl over their head. Men wear what's called a yarmulke. And a yarmulke is about the size of my hand. And it just is a little skull cap that just rests on the crown of your head. So I didn't have a yarmulke when I walked into the synagogue foyer. And so the people there were nice and said, it's okay, we'll let you borrow one. And so they go back and they get one for me. Every man in that synagogue had on a black yarmulke. 
except me, the one they gave me was royal blue. It was like, there's no doubt who the Gentile is, right, in this, in this place. So I sat down, and they told me the service is longer today because of the season of the year we're in. It'll be about two and a half hours. So I'm stuck for like two and a half hours. I didn't know it was okay to come late. In fact, most of the people came late, like they do here at Second Service at BFC. But I mean, they came really late. I mean, like maybe almost 45 minutes late, you know. And everybody that came in, it's like the whole community knew them. It was an Orthodox synagogue. They all walked to church. You can't drive a car on, on, on Saturday if you're Orthodox Jew. And so they all knew each other. And so they would stand up and greet each other. Rabbi's up here doing his thing. The cantor's up here singing his stuff. People all get up and they hug and they talk a little while. Finally, they sit down. Another family comes in. They all say hi. One point of the service, I was blown away. Did not expect it, didn't know it was coming, but here's what happens. This guy just gets up. It would be like Travis Rhodes getting up and just walking up to the platform during the service, which it wouldn't be beyond Travis to do something. Don't do it, Travis. Walked up, and he goes back to what is called the ark, and he gets out of the ark scrolls. What's recorded on the scrolls is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He carries them down the steps and he goes into the aisle with them. When he gets into the aisle, the congregation begins to clap, sing, talk, celebrate, hugging each other. And, and as he walks by with the scroll, they all come from where they're sitting to the end, to the aisle, right? And they're all trying. Here's what they're doing. They're doing this. They kiss their hand and they touch it to the scroll. Many times. They just keep. And finally, as he's walking and this celebration is happening... It's like they fall in behind him. There's a procession. And they're all going down the aisle of the synagogue together. And everybody's so happy. And they're celebrating. And they keep reaching out to kiss the scroll like that. And finally, there's this like big parade of people. They get to the back of the synagogue. They come down the other aisle. But when they get there, everybody goes back to our seats. And he comes back and he gets on the platform. And he hands the scroll to the rabbi. And then here it goes. You ready? The rabbi, he reads from the Torah. And all the people listened. Now the reason I'm painting that picture for you is because it helps you understand James' world and the language that he chooses. Do do, do you understand that when I say nobody had a book, I mean nobody had a book. The book didn't exist. Do you know how they got copies of the Scripture? Like Moses writing the Torah and like the writing of the prophets. Do you know how they got copies? An individual called a scribe would sit down and he would take a pen, a quill with ink, okay? And he would write on papyrus or animal skin from right to left like you write Hebrew. And he would copy the entire book of Isaiah. Can you imagine how tedious this is? Don't make a mistake. Whatever you do, this is like the Word of God, right? And he would sit there and he would write hours and hours, day after day after day after day after day. And so here's the deal. When you went to the synagogue on Saturday to worship, they would get up and they would get one copy, a single copy of the Word of God that was owned by the whole community. And they would listen to the rabbi read. That's why. James doesn't say, don't just read the Word of God. That's why he says, 
Don't just listen to the Word of God. Do what it says. It's because they were an oral community. Whatever you took in regarding the Word of God, it was something that you heard somebody say. Okay? Now, I'm not going to hold any punches today. I don't think I need to. But there is definitely a call in this. And here's the call. I mean, he's firm and he's stern. You heard it when I read it a moment ago. Hey, get honest with yourself about your everyday lifestyle and what God desires for your everyday lifestyle. Get really honest with yourself about whether you're just hearing the Word or whether or not you're actually doing what the Word of God calls you to do. Don't be blind to your own religious state. Don't live your life with this gap, this major gap between what God wants and what I'm actually doing, what God's Word calls me to and how I actually live. And then just kind of kick back and say, it, it's okay, it's good, I'm good, it's good, it's good, it, it's all good, it's okay, don't worry, it's okay. James says, if that's your attitude, strong words, you're only fooling yourselves. See, I think deceit is a bad thing. I think self-deceit is devastating. You fool somebody else, but when you fool yourself into believing that there's this huge gap in my life between what God wants and how I actually live, and it's no big deal. See, I think that's when it's devastating. So, James is the master of saying, here is what you do, okay? I mean, this is kind of where James, James lives. He calls us to, to doing things, okay? And he gives these awesome illustrations. So I don't, I don't know how often um, you find yourself um, looking into a mirror but I thought it'd be fun if I went online and, and looked it up and just said, how many times does the average person look in a mirror today? And you might find that kind of interesting. Um, but it got weird. And the reason it got weird is because every time I tried to find those numbers, it compared men and women. And then every study tried to say that men were more vain than women and men actually looked in the mirror more than men do. I mean, men looked in the mirror more than women do, which is just a whole bunch of... I don't even care about it. It's not true. <laughs> Here, here's what I know. I don't have a mirror in my purse. I'll just say that much right now, okay? <laughs> but, but we do tend to look in the mirror. And in the ancient world, you understand that, that they didn't have mirrors like we have. So... So if they had a mirror, now the common person didn't have one. But if you had a mirror in the ancient world, it was very different than our mirror. It was a polished piece of metal. And it would give you a reflection of yourself, but it was nowhere close to like the mirrors that we have, which I would call an exact representation. In fact, I was, I was at a restaurant once and I went up to the buffet to get some food. And as I'm walking, you know, down the buffet, I see this guy coming at me. And I kind of waved at him, and I realized that was a mirror, and I just waved at myself. And then I'm like looking around to make sure nobody saw me because it was terribly embarrassing. 
because it's such a real-life representation. Their mirrors were very different. If you could own one and you were elite, it would be a piece of polished metal in James Day, and it would give you a reflection. Can you imagine going through your life not really knowing what you look like? I mean, as important as self-image is today, I'm not going to lie, I checked myself out on the elevator before I came to the service, just to make sure. I mean, can you imagine only seeing your reflection in a pool of water? And so what is James doing when he uses this kind of conversation and he goes to this place of... It's like a person who looks in the mirror and they forget what they look like. And so here's where he's going with that. All right? Good teaching moment here. You came in today to come to church. You got out of your car. Let's pretend it was a typical Oklahoma day when the wind was unleashed, okay? And it's just kind of blowing your hair all over your head. And, and you come in and you go to the restroom first thing. And as you walk by the mirror, you glance and you see that your hair is disheveled. All right? You use the restroom and then you kind of get something on your mind or whatever. And you wash your hands and you walk out of the restroom forgetting to do anything about your messy hair. You get in the sanctuary and you sit by a friend or a spouse or a family member and they say, Why don't you fix your hair? And they fix your hair for you. And the reason you didn't fix it in the restroom was either because you got distracted and forgot or you just didn't care. And so that's the application. You go to church and you hear the Word of God. Or you get up in the morning and you open your Bible and you read the Word of God. And the Word of God points out something that's messed up in your life. And either you are distracted because life is so busy and so full, or you just don't care. And you don't do anything about it. And although the Word of God has been extremely clear that this is an area of life that you've got to get together Either you became so distracted and you got so busy, but in your heart you kind of realize that you should address it, but you don't. Or you just decided, I'm not going to deal with it today. I just can't deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. I'd rather not deal with it. And you do nothing about what the Word of God revealed to you. And so James gets really serious and he says, hey, listen, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Now, when I was a college student, we were you know, forced to take Greek classes. And Hal Cawthron, who attends here, was my Greek professor at the other Southern Nazarene University in Nashville, Tennessee, called Treveca. And so while I was there, he taught me a poem, and the poem went like this. Uh, ancient Greek is no longer spoken in the world today, of course. And the poem was, Greek is a dead language, as dead as can be. First it killed the Greeks, and now it's killing me. And Hal Cawthron would tell you, that if you study this sentence, you must do what it says, that do is an action verb, but it is in the present imperative tense. And you may say, so what? Big deal. What's present imperative tense mean? It simply means this. It's not a one-time action. It is a continuous action. And so James is saying, not only do you obey the Word of God today, but you obey the Word of God tomorrow. 
Not only do you do what God's Word says today, but you do what God's Word says tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. This becomes a lifestyle. You don't just find yourself listening to God's Word, but you find yourself striving every day of your life to do what God's Word calls you to do. So since it's just you looking at me right now, or since you are looking at me, let me just say that this is who we are. We're not calling you out of your life into a different one. See, when, when, you, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers you for your sins, and you begin to follow Jesus, see, that, that, that's, a big, that's a big phrase, follow Jesus. That means be like Jesus. Jesus, do what Jesus would do. Do what Jesus taught me to do. You see, this is who we are. We, we, don't, we don't do this stuff to earn favor with God so that God will like us. God already loves us. And we've already been forgiven of our sins. We are Christian. We have been raised to this new life, okay? You, you are You are a Christian. You have been saved. You have been raised to this new life with Jesus. Now I'm just talking about the business of daily living out. What does it mean to be raised to this new life and to be a follower of Jesus? It's also closing the gap between who you are and how you live. Because who you are should affect the way that you live out your life. This is who we are. This is the way the people of God live every day. You may be asking me, give me me some conversation about why I should not just listen to God's Word, but do what it says. Talk to me about that for a few minutes. Inspire me, Pastor Rick. So let me me think with you about that, okay? I would say that 99% of you came here in some kind of a motorized vehicle today. Somebody might have walked, but, but most of you drove or were driven here. So let me ask you a couple questions about that. Did, did anybody have another car coming at you in your lane as you came to church today? Did you face another vehicle coming at you head on? Anybody have that happen to you today? Nobody? I, I remember a joke once about a guy who called his wife and he says, Honey, uh, be really careful Because on the interstate, the same interstate you're traveling, there is a car going the wrong direction on the wrong side of the interstate. Be careful. And she said, oh no, it's not one. There are hundreds of them. (laughs) So you didn't have that happen today, right? Nobody nobody was coming at you. Did you see anybody driving at about 120 miles an hour today on your way to church? And your response is, no, Rick, that doesn't happen because we have laws that protect us, okay? So there's a law. In the United States, you drive on the right side of the road. Now, if you're in Europe, you can drive on the left, but it's okay because everybody in Europe drives on the left. But in the U.S., you drive on the right. And you can't drive 120 miles an hour. You go to jail. We have laws, and the laws protect us. The laws create an environment where we can freely drive down the road, and freely is the key word. So here's the question. Do laws restrict you? Or do they make you more free? 
You know what the answer is? Yes. <laughs> they do restrict you. But they do make you more free. And so, this is where James leaves us with really good words. The law gives you freedom. Now, let's, let's be honest and talk about the elephant in the room, okay? I have a granddaughter that's almost four years old, and when I tell Sadie no, which I think I've done once at this point, Sadie doesn't view that as me making her more free. See? Don't touch that, Sadie. It's hot. It'll burn your hand. And all Sadie gets is that I want to touch it, and he doesn't want me to. But the truth is that if she touches it, I don't want her to spend the next two weeks with her whole hand wrapped up in a bandage with intense pain because she's burned her hand on something very hot. What, what I want for Sadie is for her to be more free to just to live her life the next two weeks. Do what little girls do. And, and so when I, was a, when I was a teenager living in my home of my mom and dad, man... You want to talk about laws and rules? I just didn't get it. He's like, seriously, can you, can you guys come up with maybe one more rule? I mean, I think we have them all, right? I mean, are there rules out there that you don't have on my life already? I, I didn't view it as freedom. But they were, they were thinking in this whole other realm, we want Rick to be free. The reason we want you to go to bed is because you've got to get some sleep, because you've got to do well with school, because you've got to be able to get into college and then to graduate school. We want your life to be great, and we want you to move forward. You see what I'm saying? We want you to be free. And so James is saying, this will of God, this Word of God, this life that God calls you to, it's not a life of bondage. It's a life of freedom. And you know what? The opposite is true. Think with me about this, okay? When I live according to my own desires, my own passions, my own emotions, I end up becoming a slave. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Doesn't that seem like opposite, like backwards? But when I do what I want to do, that's when I become a slave. And so as a pastor, I have lots of conversations with people Almost weekly, people are saying, Pastor, I live my life to my own desires, my own passions, my own emotions, and now I'm a slave to those things and I can't stop. And I would love to turn my life around and follow Jesus, but I can't get a handle on this stuff. And it's only when you surrender your life to Jesus and God's Word and begin to say, I'm not just going to listen to what God says, but I'm going to do what God says. That's when you find real freedom. I was 19 when I tried it the other way. And I said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that was when I got free. All right, so I'll just, I'll just wrap things up here, okay? Make a couple of statements. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but... I read that passage and I realize there's just two steps here. There's just two. Okay? It's simple. It's not really complicated. 
You don't have to be a theologian to get this going, okay? Two steps. First step says this. It's really simple. Listen to the Word of God. Second step, do what the Word of God says. I'm going to leave this here for a minute. I'm going to talk to you. I was meeting with a group of pastors from this church, and we were talking about upcoming sermons, and we were talking about this sermon. And so one of our pastors, sharp gal, she says, you know how you're talking about that James World was an oral community when it came to the Word of God? They just, they just heard someone else speak the Word of God? And I said, yeah. She said, do you think in some ways... That the church in America today, the church in America today, do you think the church in America today is somewhat an oral community when it comes to the Word of God? I said, keep, keep talking to me. She said, well, I've just been reading some about biblical illiteracy in the church. Now, I'm not saying that you don't read God's Word through the week. I'm not saying that, but just nationally, the church of Jesus Christ in America today, when polls are taken about how much they read the Word of God, it's very little. Some say, I go to church on Sunday, and the next time I hear the Word of God, it's on Sunday. And so she said, I just wonder if maybe in America today we're still somewhat of an oral community when it comes to God's Word. We only hear it when we go to church on Sundays. See, if the first step is to listen to the Word of God, and we know why I said listen instead of read, because they didn't have the book. We got the book. And the second step is to do what the Word of God says. Well, let me tell you something, okay? If you don't do step one, it's impossible to do step two. Now, I know that sounds brilliant of me, right? But just think about it. If you don't read the Word of God or if you don't listen to the Word of God, if you get to the church on occasion, if you come once or twice a month and that's all you're getting, if you don't listen to the Word of God, then it's possible to do the Word of God. And so here, here we are in a society that has become so distracted from what is so important in our lives that we don't get to church often enough and we don't get alone with God's Word often enough. And how in the world can we do what God's Word says if we're not informing ourselves of what God's Word says? And so there's two practices that we talk about often here that we believe God will use to help you and me become more like Jesus. Now, there's six. Let me talk to you about two of them today, okay? One is worshiping together. Somehow, American Christians have got to move from we will go to church on Sunday if there is nothing else going on to we are going to church on Sunday no matter what's going on. We've got to make that shift. It is killing us as a church. And I believe it's having great impact on American society. 
There's a mentality that says, well, go to church if there's nothing else going on. And that has to change. So we will go to church no matter what's going on. And worshiping together has to become a priority. I have to go every week because I have to listen to the Word of God because otherwise it's impossible to do what it says. And the second practice that I want to talk to you about is simply one-on-one time with God. It's that every day I carve out a time in my life when I am alone with God and His Word and in prayer. Every day of my life, I have to listen to the Word of God. I have to read the Word of God. How else can I do what it says if I'm not reading the Word of God? I've got to be taking it in. And so I'm just going to challenge you as your pastor this morning, improve, improve in those two areas. And if there's one of those areas that you're just not doing at all, begin doing, begin doing it. And as you do that, you will be shocked. At the change you will see in your own life. Wow. I really do believe God uses these as a means of grace to make me more like Jesus. And there is a third way that God uses a means of grace to make us more like Jesus. And it is right in front of me. It is the elements. Because when we in a moment eat the bread and drink the cup, we receive the grace of Jesus in that moment into our hearts. It's one of the ways God helps us to be more like Jesus. So I want you to stand with me. And people are coming to service. And you can come now and prepare to do that. And let me just say a couple things about communion. When you've received the elements, you'll have two cups stacked on top, one on top of the other. You can put the bread in your hand and then just stack the cups back maybe and just hold them until everybody has been served and we will eat and drink together, okay? So if you are not a member of this church, you can still receive communion. We practice what churches call open communion. The only thing that I would say to you is that it's important that you are seeking God and His will for your life. And there might be one other group that I would say something to, and that is if you would say, Rick, I'm not one of those persons who claims to do what God's Word says. I wouldn't claim to be a Christian. But when I think about how I have lived my whole life according to my own desires and my own emotions, I realize now that God actually has a plan for my life. And I would like to follow God's plan for my life. I would like to be forgiven of the sin of doing things my way. And I would like for Jesus to live in my heart. Then you would simply pray a prayer that says, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and live in me. And let me serve you and follow you and do what your word calls me to do. And you should take the elements with us this morning after you've prayed that prayer. Eat the bread and drink the drink and receive the grace of Jesus even in this moment. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.